And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 277 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. How are you doing this week, Brian? You know what? I'm doing real good this week. I had yeah? A, yeah, I had a little dinner party last night. And, uh, I, you know what? It's been, it's been a good weekend. Good, good week, good weekend. Yeah. Excellent. Um, my week has been filled with plans gone awry. Nothing mm-hmm. bad, just hectic. I, yeah. uh... I'd hoped to maybe find a rhythm before I go back into my first stage management gig in a year and a half. I will be improvising that rhythm this week. <laughs> you know, a little schedule scramble. That happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Everyone everyone is getting used to doing this again. Everyone is getting their bearings. And part of accepting that and not giving them a hard time is in turn not giving myself a hard time about needing to wait for information. There you go. Yes. You know what we don't have to wait for, Alex? Talking about comics. Exactly. Let's do it. That's right. I am going to do a quick roundup of about half of my free comic book day stack. Ah, nice. Yeah. Uh, I will keep these quick, I promise. Okay, From DC, go. we had Batman, which included a teaser taste of Batman Fear State from James Tynan IV, Jorge Jimenez, Tomeo Moray, and Clayton Cowles. This is kind of intercut between a Simon Saint address to Gotham as he is launching his Peacekeeper program and Batman questioning his reality after an encounter with the Scarecrow. Uh, It's a really short taste of what is to come, but it's very much in line what we've seen so far in Tynan's run. All right. Uh, There was also a preview of I Am Batman, which is already out and which we've already talked about. That's from John Ridley, Travel Foreman, Norm Ratman, Rex Locus, and A Larger World, who I think is Dave Lamphere. And uh, we've already talked about it. We loved it. It was yeah. great. Free Comic Book Day, Suicide Squad, King Shark, a character who is having his moment in the sun right now. The main story here about King Shark, sort of, is written by Tim Seeley, with art by Scott Collins, colors by John Kalish, and letters by Wes Abbott. Brian, mm-hmm. if I told you that while well, King Shark was maybe the character who this was about, but that we uh, entered this story through another character's eyes and introduction to the Suicide Squad, pick one character from Rebirth who Tim Seeley wrote, who we loved, who it might be. Oh, God. Um, I don't know. Give it to me. Defacer. It's the return of Defacer. <laughs> oh my god! I, I, you know what? I would, I could have guessed for uh, an hour and wouldn't have guessed Defacer. Yeah, but I'm super happy that Defacer's still around because what a great character! This is a Defacer and King Shark team up story. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, our backup here is Suicide Squad Get Joker the preview. Uh, I think this one's also already out, but it's it written by yep. Brian Azzarello with art by Alex Maleev, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, and letters by Jared Fletcher. The uh, teaser that we get of this story is Jason Todd in prison in Bel Rev being made an offer by Amanda Waller to mm. kill the man who killed him. Oh, all right. Yeah. I uh, didn't want to get invested in this book despite loving its creative team, and well, I'm at least going to grab that trade. Yeah, you go. Over at Marvel, we had a pair of issues with two stories in each. The first is Free Comic Book Day, The Avengers, which leads off with, as you might expect, an Avengers story called The Tower at the Center of Everything. Uh, This is about an Avengers tower that has been built at the 
uh, Graveyard of the Gods, I think it's called. The the place where Cosmic Ghost Rider went to fight, or Thanos went to fight himself in the Jeff Lemire run, if that rings any bells. Okay. Uh, basically, this is a multiversal Avengers watchtower that has detected an incursion across multiple realities and sent out some Deathlocks to go investigate. Oh, so it's the Marvel Hall of Heroes. I got you. Yeah, pretty. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it kind of looks like one of the Crisis Towers. You know, the ones that yeah. vibrate. Yeah. Uh-huh. There you go. Uh, and Hulk Ignition, uh, which is the first taste of Donny Cates and Ryan Otley's run on the Hulk with colors by Frank Martin and letters by Corey Pettit. I don't think I actually knew what the premise of Donny Cates' Hulk run was. And unfortunately, I may have to read it in single issues now instead of waiting for the trade. So what is this premise, Alex? Bruce Banner didn't want to build bombs. Do you know what Bruce Banner always wanted to do? Um, sing? Be an astronaut. (laughs) Okay. This is about the Hulk deciding to go explore space, apparently. I mean, I kind of like my idea of him wanting to sing, too, but, you know. I mean, yeah, I I hear his cover of It's Not Easy Being Green is fantastic. Yes. He also does a lot of Smash Mouth. Right. Free comic book day Spider-Man slash Venom. You might be able to guess from the title what two what two stories we get to look at here. Uh this is our first taste of the new roster for Amazing Spider-Man. Uh this issue is written by Zeb Wells with art by Patrick Gleason, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by Joe Caramagna. The uh Beyond Board, which is what they're calling the the writing team for this one is Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, Saladin Ahmed, Patrick Gleason, and Zeb Wells. This gives us our first taste of uh, Ben Riley in the new suit, working with like a team behind him to help him more effectively save the day. Uh, it was fun. I really dug it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this run. Likewise, I dug Venom. This story is called Like Father, Like Son. It's written by Rom V and Al Ewing. Pencils by Brian Hitch. Inks by Andrew Curry. Colors by Alex Sinclair. And letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, This splits its time between uh, Dylan in Eddie's old symbiote on Earth being chased by some cops. And Eddie in space as the god of symbiotes hopping between consciousnesses in symbiotes helping fight space pirates. As you do when you're Venom in space. There is also a secret story in this one. Should secret I story. Should I tell the secrets, Brian? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You don't want to cross uh you don't want to cross the mayor in New York. Well no, uh nor do I want to cross one Chips Darsky, but <laughs> I will say there's a Chips Darsky, Greg Smallwood, and Clayton Cowell's story in here that seems to be about Wilson Fisk and were I a betting man. It seems like it might be the follow-up to uh, Spider's Shadow. All right. And the last one is Enter the House of Slaughter, uh, written by James Tynan IV, with art by Werther Deladera, colors by Mikel Merto, letters by Andrew Design, and design by Dylan Todd. Uh, this flashes back through the first 15 issues of Something is Killing the Children through the Archer's Peak Saga, and gives us sort of the bureaucratic side of the job at the Order of St. George. Okay. Um, These were a lot of fun. I have a few more that I may throw in next week, although next week's going to be a heavy week, so we'll see. We'll see. Brian. Yes, sir. Tell me about Eat the Rich, number one. Ooh, boy. Yeah, this was written by uh, uh, Sarah Gailey with art by Pius Bach, colors by Roman Titov, and letters by Cardinal Ray. Um... This is uh wow this this is a new Boom Studios book that is essentially a fish out of water story. Definitely um, not Boombox. Not all ages. No, no, Boom Studios, not yes. Boombox. Yes, the let's the, be clear. the main imprint. Yes, not for children. This not one. for children. Let's unless your children are into cannibalism. Well, you know. To each their own. Maybe you're ra- maybe you're raising fine young cannibals. <laughs> Personally, they drive me crazy. Yikes! 
Just yikes. Um, this is a bit of a fish out of water story. So there is uh, someone who very definitely belongs to, uh, shall we say, the elite upper crust of society. And his uh, his girlfriend slash fiance, I think they're engaged, right, at this point? I think so. Yeah, yeah. They're certainly um, in a serious relationship. A, yeah. He is bringing her home to meet the family. And it is very much a, like a, um, uh, you know, Nantucket type scene where like all the families are, you know, at the beach houses or, uh, and there's the parties of the season and all of this kind of thing. And we find out when they get there that, um, she is super stressful because she is not part of this world, but is in law school to join like a super elite law firm. Mm-hmm. And kind of become part of this world. But, like, it's very clear she does not know how to fit in. Like, she is talking to some of the help, and the help is like, why are you even talking to us? <laughs> That's kind of not allowed, so just don't. Don't um, do that if you want to make it through the summer. Exactly. Um, and then they find out it's it's a little odd because you find out that there is a retirement party for the groundskeeper for one of the other families. Uh, and there's, it's just really odd because there's like a roast that happens. And then as people are called out during this roast, they leave the party and like, she's feeling overwhelmed and stressed. So she goes to get some air on the beach. And when she does finds all the people who have left the party chasing down the groundskeeper and killing him and eating him. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Basketful of Heads without the, like, magical axe. Yes. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, that, that, that kind of realistic setting, but surrealistic horror to it. Yeah. The other, the other thing that came to mind was, without the commentary on racism, because these characters are all white, uh, Get Out. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, more about the fact that there are no ethical billionaires. There you go. Uh, yeah, this is going to be uh, this is going to be interesting. I, I, I mean, like that's really all we get from this one. So, um, yeah, yeah. Let's find out what happens here. Yeah, it's it's a fun, but I think at least for me, uncomfortable read. And clearly, it's supposed to be a little bit. Yeah, right? yeah. It definitely like leaves you on edge. Yeah, and if if you're one of those people who want to read this but are a little bit too uncomfortable by it, then I think reading it in a big cut like a trade of the whole thing might be a little easier to just get through yeah. the whole thing, right? Um, shout out to the art team though, because this looked oh. fantastic and like really sold how uncomfortable everything was. It did, and the colors are a big part of that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Killer Queens number one. This is written by David Imbour, with art by Claudia Balboni, colors by Harry Saxon, and letters by Lucas Gattoni. Uh, This is about a pair of former space mercenaries, Alex and Max. Uh, When we meet them, they are each on dates, Alex with another another woman and Max with another man, uh, in this, like, diner out in the middle of space. When the monkey in a jetpack, who they quit working for and stole a ship from, crashes their dates to kill them and steal back the ship with his goons, anthropomorphic otters. Um, uh, otters, really? Yes. Okay. Um, Alex is clearly the competent one, and Max, like, will not even shoot at the otter henchmen because they're just too adorable to hurt. Uh, they, they escape and find themselves a no-kill contract for basically, like, Themyscira the planet uh and yeah it's 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 fun like gay space pulp sci-fi all right cool yeah it's it's something more to read than talk about because it's a lot of action and banter and uh it's just fun it's just fun i don't have a whole lot more to say about it sometimes you just want a comic that's fun and this is that All right. Batman Secret Files Clown Hunter number one. Written by Ed Brisson with art by Rosie Campa. Colors by Andrew Dalhouse. And letters by Simon Boland. 
I have a question for you, Brian. Yes, sir. Did you ever read any of Gotham Academy? Um, you know what? I think I started it and did not finish. We we see some flashes back to Clown Hunter as a student at the Academy. Yes. And I understand why this did not happen. But boy, howdy, there was a part of me, like, every time I flipped a page that was like, is Maps going to show up? Is Maps going to show up? <laughs> These two characters could not be less alike, and I think that's why I wanted to see them interact. Right. Um... Also, I need to know where Maps is at right now. Let's get some Maps back in the action. I mean, they could have at least, like, just walked through the background, right? Yeah. Or down the hall or something. But this is not a book about Maps, nope. clearly. Uh, it's not even an atlas. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> not even. I'm not. <laughs> I mentioned it's been a long week, right? <laughs> Let's go. Uh... I wanted I wanted to just hit on a couple of things here that I really dug. One is seeing Clown Hunter dealing with Alexis K. She's not in costume, so she's Alexis. Yes. A little bit Alexis. And an army of like Joker thugs who she is commanding. Yes. The other thing I want to talk one about. might say the clown posse, right? The insane clown posse. There you go. Yeah. Um although, you know, it's 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 uh, if you abbreviate it, you actually get Mr. Freeze at a urinal. ICP. Yeah. Uh, thanks, I'll be here all night. Tip your waitresses. The other thing I wanted to talk about here is uh, who shows up to uh, help Clown Hunter out? Red Hood. I don't know why it never occurred to me that these two characters could or would or should eventually cross paths. Oh, how? Yeah, no, I was, I, I've been waiting for this ever since they introduced Clown Hunter. Well, clearly, Brian, you are more clever than I am. Because I was pleasantly surprised and cannot wait until we get more of this, this pairing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We get more. And Clown Hunter wants no part of it. <laughs> no. But I think especially in light of, like, what we've seen Red Hood go through in Urban Legends. Yeah. I think he's in a really interesting place in terms of his relationship to Batman. And, like, we see him form this sort of relationship with this kid who he sees some of his self in in that book. Mm -hmm. I think he's in a really great place to, like, try to keep Cloud Hunter from at least getting himself killed. Yeah, I mean, I I do too because he has had he has had literally the exact same rage that Clown Hunter has now. Mm -hmm. Um, and like Clown Hunter's like, yeah, yeah, you know, he killed my parents. This and he's like, no, no, no. he killed me. <laughs> yeah, and like, like I'm at a point now that I understand, you know, just exacting revenge is is not satisfactory right that that doesn't quench that rage that you have inside you got to find some other way to deal with that but anyway yeah it's I, I can't wait for that yeah i i don't know where these things will happen that secret files sets up mm -hmm. and brian i don't know if you've seen this news but tynan is leaving batman with oh. the end of fear state in november he's leaving batman to do creator-owned work and it sounds like, and this doesn't strike me as a surprise given future state, mm -hmm. but it sounds like Batman, Bruce Wayne, will not be around for at least a while after Fear State. Oh. So all these parts and pieces and different storylines and arcs that we're getting here and in Urban Legends and in the other Secret Files one-shots and just all over the place, mm -hmm. those may be, like, in a very different way than we expected what the next year in Gotham is after November. Well, and it, wouldn't that be about the time frame of the year that Bruce and Selina gave themselves? I think roughly, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say, right? Oh, sure, like, sure, sure, sure. Because time in the comics doesn't necessarily track with yeah. real, real time, but sure. But it certainly feels like we could be getting to that point. Right. And I think we had a moment in Catwoman this week that almost felt like they're approaching an answer. Exactly. And so, it better be the right one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll we see. We will. We will. The only problem is if it's the right one and Batman's leaving, does that mean Catwoman also has to leave? 
Um, for a period, possibly. I might be okay for for a period. Okay. They okay. can take a break. They take a break. It. Not from each other. From you know, from you know. Right. Actually. They're on a break now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nightwing number eighty three. Uh. I gave Brian the option of us waiting for him to read this one to record. And he told yeah. me, go ahead. Some, somehow, I don't know how. Somehow this, like, I, I added it to my list, like, after and didn't refresh the list in a couple places. And so, like, I forgot to read it. And I'm super upset when I saw it on Alex's list. I was like, no, that was this week because I've been loving this book so much. So I'm going to take a light touch here. Okay. And we may revisit this one once Brian reads it. All right. But here is the non-spoiler version of this book. Ready? Are you Mm. ready? Probably not. Let's go. Nightwing is the best hero in DC Comics. Ah, well. You know what? I I could certainly make that argument. As of this issue, that argument to me is irrefutable. Ooh. We learn what he is going to do with Alfred's billions. Mm -hmm. And it basically comes from his acknowledgement that he doesn't feel like there's any good way to just have a billion dollars and be a good person. Okay. Uh, we get a great moment with Superman um, that also acknowledges that Superman may be going away for a while and leaving uh, leaving his son around and would Nightwing check in on him occasionally. Oh, let's see. Okay, I love that. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, how much would you love that that Nightwing becomes the Batman to John's Superman. I mean, instead of Damien, just because, like, just for the one hundred percent because of the experience, right? I am not going to comment further on this matter until you have read the book. Okay, all right, all right. All right. I will say that the scene between them did make me cry a little bit. Uh, and that my answer to your question is basically a function of context and probably, I think, I think that John will get both of them in his life. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, he still Um, needs his friend, right? Yeah. I think this is functionally the end of the first arc of this book. The hardcover, I believe, comes out in November, and if you only buy one one infinite frontier era hardcover i think this is the one i would tell you to buy it's so good it is so good it's incredible the art is absolutely gorgeous i mean bruno redondo and adriano lucas always kill it here but there are a couple of panels in this that are like high watermarks even for this run so far i feel like in ways this gets better every issue is barbara continuing to be amazing yes i will say this barbara stunned me in this issue (gasps) Yeah. This Brian, is going to make me real happy. I cannot tell you how difficult it is for me in this moment <laughs> that you have not read this book. Um, Barbara, Barbara is part of a montage that includes Dick going to all of his friends to talk about his plans and make a good plan. Okay. I will leave it at that. Okay. Um, Let's move on. We'll come back to it next week. We we will. We will move on. Uh, Just, uh, it's incredible. I love this book so much. I have no problem double dipping on that issue. We will be back. Superman and the Authority, number two. Written by Grant Morrison. Art by Mikel Hanin, Fico Asio, Evan Cagle, and Travel Foreman. With colors by Jordi Belair, Sebastian Chang, Dave Stewart, and Alex Sinclair. And letters by Steve Wands. Brian, you were very excited about this issue. You made a sound. You made a sound when I brought this one up. That means, hey, we're talking about it. I did, and you know why? I am fucking loving how they're presenting this story. So we essentially get um, uh, Manchester and Superman talking to each other about who they have, who Manchester slash. You know, okay, well, maybe he didn't find the first person, but who they have found (laughs) (laughs) to recruit to this team. And then we basically get cutaways to like a little, you know, three or four pages of that, that person doing something or those people in some cases doing something. And they're so incredibly different from each other. Mm -hmm. Like I just, it was almost like an anthology that was in the same story and book. Yeah, and I like 
I like that part part of the reason it feels that way is this trick of basically Morrison picks almost a different genre for each section of this. Yeah, book. that's what I mean, right. Like the Superman and Manchester Black stuff feels like like the authority. Like it's talking head heads and these big cinematic yep. layouts. Mm-hmm. The, the open panel, like, you know, no mm-hmm. border kind of thing. Yeah. The scenes with with Nat. With Natasha Irons, mm-hmm. they are this like conceptual sci-fi story about and... fighting a sentient AI that is trying to be human and acquire knowledge, and it's basically stumbled on like 4chan and 8chan and Reddit and acquired the wrong knowledge. And very much feels like like just from a presentation, what I would call the most traditional superhero of of them. Yes, but also the most like Grant Morrison high concept yeah, sure, sure, part of sure. the story. Yeah, it's yeah. like a really cool balance of both of those things. Right. Uh, and then later, when we cut to Midnight uh, or Midnighter and Apollo, mm-hmm. they are like doing this very Midnighter and Apollo mission to like fight mercenaries in the desert who have cannibalized children to make a giant flesh golem. Right. There are two giant flesh golems we're going to talk about this week, Brian, and I just realized that. Yeah, well, there are. Yeah. That's okay, though. It's weird, some of the coincidences that happen. Isn't it? Uh, but like, I agree, this is a lot of fun. I can't believe we're already halfway through it. I Like, I know, like, it's shocking me how we're just right here, and yeah. And then the last one is the Enchantress, which very much feels... Oh, right feels like a like 50s uh horror retelling right like I, i'll tell you what it made me think of is it made me think of the chilling adventures of sabrina i went to a strange place that makes less sense okay uh i went to dead man dark mansion of forbidden love okay i could yeah i mean okay Without the romance elements necessarily, but the beginning of her story had some of those. Like it, it started like a paranormal romance comic. Yeah, it did. It did. And then went bad for her. Yeah, it reminded me of like the 60s and early 70s horror comics is what it reminded yeah. me of. Yeah. Um, but like super, super cool. And what a, what a crazy team. Yeah. Like yeah, it. it's a wild lineup. I, uh, yeah. I can't wait to see how how this plays out. Well, speaking of horror and flesh golems. Oh, boy. Homesick Pilots number eight. The other Brian just kind of, the other book Brian just kind of squealed a little bit when I mentioned. I mean, how do you not? This may be the, this may be the best book of this year. It, it probably is. This book. Is- certainly, certainly will probably statistically be our favorite. Uh, written by Dan Waters, art by Caspar Wingard, letters by Aditya Bidikar, and design by Tom Muller. I remember seeing Caspar Wingard tweet out about the uh, concert pages. Mm-hmm. He had been working on them, and I guess was coloring them, and had them loaded into into either Photoshop or Illustrator. And he had panel borders, and then turned them off, and just to like for whatever reason, he switched off that layer and just really liked the look of them without the panel borders. So he decided to run that sequence without the, without the panel borders turned on. And they look so cool. Like just the amount of, I know we talk a lot about just how much he plays with art and style and has fun clearly with what he is doing in this book. But like, that is a provable moment of that. Yeah. Well, and it feels very right. Like, like, chaotic in the same manner that this anti-authoritarian music is yeah yeah like it's the kind of scene that a few weeks later you'll remember a little bit in a fog yeah well and like 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 i said you know oh yeah we're not going to be constrained or by borders or by you know preconceived things or yeah and fuck nazis and fuck nazis right yeah well i mean uh, you know like like we hate them not like actually you know yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck Nazis, but fuck Nazis. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the other thing is we finally are getting to a point where the we have both the the story with Amy um 
and the story with Meg and both in this, like we're, we're mm-hmm. not, we're not have a whole issue focused on one or the other. And it, the reason for that is very clearly starting with next issue it, that things are going to come to a head between them. Yeah. It, the way this arc has been paced very much feels like it's picking up tempo. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if we went back through and looked at how often we switch sort of those perspectives, it would be like a shorter page count each time. I think you're probably right. Yeah, because it was like two issues with Amy and then two issues with Meg and then one issue with Amy, one issue with Meg. And now we're both like half an issue. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's very uh, and clearly building, yeah. Hey, poor Rip is just kind of uh, mm. torn between teams at this point. Rip torn? So we said? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. And the other cool thing, we get a couple, we get some history of a couple of the ghosts in the house. Yes. Which was super creepy and cool at the same time. And I, I, like I think we're going. I think we're being given this on purpose. Like it occurred to me at some point that we're being given this on purpose because I think it may lead into either like motivations of the house or into powers that she can manifest. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also becomes thematically this ominous thing. She talks about how the stories she knows about these ghosts make them victims of time in one way or another. Yep. And simultaneously, like she feels like it is inevitable, only a matter of time before she is drawn back into the house. And that may be sooner rather than later now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it so much. If you're not reading this book, you're doing comics wrong. Yeah. Like go get the trade, the first trade and start and you'll be hooked because this is this is this is some of the best stuff out there right now. Yep. Kang the Conqueror number 1. Written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carlos Magno, colors by Espen Grundetiern and letters by Joe Caramagna. I bet this has to do with time too, doesn't it? It does. Uh I don't know that I expected anything specific from this book. Mhm. Um I know that I did not expect what this book is. It starts off in the future with uh, young Kang, before he is Kang, basically talking about society as a cage in this utopia that he lives in because there's nothing to do. It's all been done. It's all done for you. Everything is just going through the motions and how he wants to go back to a time when like everything is not a given, which leads him to breaking into an abandoned Doctor Doom facility to try to steal a time platform. When King of the Conqueror shows up and basically gives him the Darth Spader, the Darth, Darth Spader, James Spader as Darth Vader. <laughs> James Spader as Darth, there you go. Oh, Lord, Alex. <laughs> Darth Spader is the episode title, and you know what? It As many stupid jokes as I've said, in the entire history of this podcast, other than other than Tarzan the Smooth Boy, I don't think I've ever said anything better than Darth that. Spader, I didn't Darth Spader to. is real fucking good. Darth Spader, I fuck. Oh yeah. I have to do something with that, and I don't know what. I, I, all I can see is James Spader going. That is brilliant. <laughs> Okay, focus, Alex. <laughs> Think about photoshopping Darth Vader into secretary poster art later. King the Conqueror, King the Conqueror. King the Conqueror. Yeah. In this very Darth Vader, together we can rule the galaxy kind of moment, Kang shows up and says, hey, yeah, so uh, you're going to be me. We're going to get there, but it's going to take you time, or I can just, like let you jump ahead and kid king's like yeah sure okay I'll, I'll do that that sounds good actually yes i i want to break out of the cage of time and you can help me do that they get a prehistoric times king as it turns out is a terrible teacher i know this comes as a shock yeah wow <laughs> Um, and, you know, young king gets some revenge on king for being awful and hops through time and that's that gets us through this book it's it's so good uh I don't know that we've talked 
about a ton of Lansing and Kelly's work, but they're a super solid team. This is, I think, going to be a really fun mini-series. Um, and obviously, King of the Conqueror is important right now. So, yeah, it is worth checking out. The art is gorgeous. Carlos Magno and Espen Grundetieren are just... Like, it is rich and luscious, and but also kind of, like, dark and ominous. It reminds me a little bit of, of like, Andrea Sorrentino. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Meanwhile, on Krakoa. And in London, and, uh, yeah. And. And on Mars. Araco, formerly known as Mars. Right. Yeah. Planet formerly known as Mars. (laughs) Somewhere in the air, in X-Corp airspace. Sure. Marauders, number 23. Written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Ivan Fiorelli. Colors by Rain Barreto, letters by Corey Pettit, and design by Tom Muller. A.K.A. Uh, Banshee really steps in it. I was gonna say, gonna say, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Uh, nope. This is uh, this is actually <laughs> kind of fun. So it turns out Banshee gets a tip from one of his uh, uh, cop friends in London. Yeah. Or actually, I guess in somewhere in Ireland. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a warehouse that's being. Uh, it looks like two simultaneous um, uh, groups Gangs. Uh, yeah, are headed for it to uh, at the same time. And while they're there and he's talking them down, uh, the Reavers show up. Yeah, it's, it's a Marauder's warehouse, so it's full of... Krakoan It's drugs. full of Krakoan medicine. Right. And if you've been reading X Corp, you know that right now, like production is halted while they move everything to Mars. Mm-hmm. So supplies are thin, right? And um, so all three of these groups are here, and so he calls uh, Emma for backup, and she gathers some Marauder folks and and shows up. And can I say that Jumbo Carnation being one of them is just my possibly my favorite. Yeah, of all the characters I expected to come through the gate, Kate Pride was one of them. Right. Jumbo Carnation and Tempo were not who I expected to see, and I loved them both. I did, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Tempo would, like, uh, there's a comment somewhere. Uh, oh, I think it's uh, it's it's a text page with a quote from Peter that says, Tempo was so much more powerful than just aging aging whiskey in the green lagoon right <laughs> like like yeah. she needs to be out there figuring out how to use her powers because if she could figure it out the right way she would be incredibly powerful and i think we're going to see the answer to that is absolutely yes yeah i know that of all the characters who were who were on the the ballot for the public vote for x-men like the real world over twitter vote right i think Tempo was the one who most of the writers were actually pulling for to win. There you go. Um, and then can I say how much, I, still, st- the Krakoa era of Emma Frost is the best Emma Frost that has ever existed. No question. 100%. The way she talks to these groups and, like, talks them, j- just, like, handles it. Like. <laughs> yeah. Like, diplomatically. Like, not fighting, just, yeah. Amazing. I love it. Way of X number five, written by Cy Spurrier, with art by Bob Quinn, colors by Java Tartaglia, letters by Clayton Cowles, and design by Tom Muller. Boy, howdy, Brian. Uh, oh, boy. We get an answer here to what's up with Onslaught, and talk about massive implications for all of Krakoa. Yeah, so turns out the resurrection protocols might not be the uh, the awesome thing that everybody thinks they are. Yeah. The mutants came back, but they came back wrong. Well, and not even just wrong, you know, it, 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 we knew they were kind of missing a little bit, right? Because it's there's a gap between whatever the last backup Cerebro has of them yeah. is. and you know, and when they die, turns out Onslaught is consuming that lost piece of them, that lost and then part of their lives. Leaving part of himself in the gap. And then leaving, yeah, leaving a little bit of himself in where that was in the resurrection of them. So there's pretty much everybody that's been resurrected at this point 
has a little bit of onslaught in him. Now you know what, Brian? Hmm. We know that there is one X-Men character who is entirely free of Onslaught's influence. Um, <laughs> Gabby. Oh, right. Hmm. And also, ironically, uh, Madeline Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, the clones are fine? <laughs> yep, I guess so. Um... Yeah, um... Call up Strife? Oh, no, do not. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea. Um... Oh, is this gonna turn into X-Men Clone Saga? I'm gonna... I'm... No, but okay. there are others, so there, there, there was Kurt. Uh-huh. There's David. David still has not. That's true. Yeah. Um... So... Yeah. Um, and the then, other thing, and then how about Kurt teleporting a fucking moon? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was incredible, and brings me to the other thing I wanted to shout out. Yeah, which is I cannot believe Cy Spurrier made me care about Fabian Cortez and made him literally the key to Kurt figuring out the answer to all of this. Because here's the thing. Kurt, uh, when he when Fabian boosts Kurt to be able to teleport a moon back into place and save save Mars, um, Kurt, as part of that boosting, sees the connections and everything he's been looking for, and understands it all. And he's like, "The horrible thing is, I'm not going to remember this when I'm resurrected." All right, Fabian, here's what you have to do: you have to tell me these words. And then I'll figure the rest out from there. And then Kurt teleports to the moon and perishes in the prospect and is reborn. And Fabian is in essentially a, a gibbering coma. Yeah. Yeah. You know what is wild, Brian, in terms of coincidence? What's that? Gibbering is not a word that gets used much. Yeah. I used it on the phone with my mother earlier today. Did you really? We have both used the word gibbering today. Wow. That's, um, what are the odds? I mean, maybe there's a little onslaught in us. I don't know. I guess. Um, do you think that, uh, uh, oh, damn it. What's his name? Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's a wonderful life. Uh, James, um, Jimmy Stewart. Do you think Jimmy Stewart is jealous of, of Kurt being able to pull the moon out of the, out of the sky? <laughs> I'll lasso it with the rope and pull it down for you. Sure. I do. I do absolutely think that. I still can't believe I'm invested in Fabian Cortez. And he is clearly now just this ticking time bomb waiting for him to become coherent enough to tell Kurt this and all of this to break loose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Over at X Corp number four. Written by Teeny Howard, with art by Alberto Foce, colors by Sonny Go, letters by Clayton Cowles, and design by Tom Moeller, uh, we have a couple new board members and a hostile takeover. Yeah. I, can I say how much I love Celine as a, mem- as a board member of this? Celine is so good. I'm not sure I've ever actually liked Celine this much. Yeah, I don't think I have either, but I do very much. Maybe this is Celine's Emma Frost moment. It, it, it may well be. Uh, Mastermind shows up to save the day. Words that have never been spoken until this week. <laughs> and, like, here's the deal. Like, the way he does this is just, it is still 100% so much him, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, him doing something that he's kind of invested in. So that's why he's doing good. He's also pulling an Elon Musk. Oh, an, an oh Elon yeah. Musk. yeah, yeah, yeah. He is one hundred percent selling a product that does not exist. That is just a scam. Correct. Well, but he 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 does at least truly have confidence that that they will deliver on it. In this one moment, yes, yeah, sure, yeah, right. But call me when he brings out the men dressed up as robots. <laughs> which yeah. actually, as I say that out loud, that is basically what all the Hellfire minions dressed like. Elon Musk has invented Hellfire minions this week. Um, yeah, it, it, 
there's so many there's so many fun parts of this. One of the things I love is this whole Monet Warren fight mm-hmm. that they have, like like an, a little actual physical fight between the two of them. And Warren's like Warren's like, yeah, this is how we were raised. This is how we work through our issues. We were taught to fight and train, and take our aggressions out physically like we we need this warren this is an executive lounge not a danger room porque no los dos <laughs> sometimes two rooms can be the same room <laughs> yeah uh, uh yeah good good stuff yeah and then finally x-men the trial of magneto number one Written by Leah Williams, art by Lucas Wernick, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by Clayton Cowles, and designed by, you guessed it, Tom Muller. Okay, so this had everything I expected in it, and yet somehow it was better than I expected it to be. And and, and I don't mean that in that I, I was not expecting it to be good, just that like each individual thing of this, I, I was not expecting to be done in a way that surprised me how good it was kind of thing. The the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, yeah, kind of. To to borrow a term from German, it is the gestalt of the thing. It it is. It is. Um I, like I love kind of this whole coming together of like X factors investigating the death because that's what they do is investigate deaths, right? And they have the forensic thing but yet it's being watched over by x-force because they're the security for the island and you know it kind of happened on their watch and also the x-men because they are the heroes to the world and so when this gets out to everybody else they're you know so like i i just love how everything is kind of comes together in this Mm -hmm. yeah we get we get the moment where the other heroes of earth are told that I think, I mean, vision in that moment was heartbreaking. Yeah. We have the conversation with Tommy about how Billy's out there in space and he can't get a hold of him and he doesn't think he knows yet. And in the investigation, it is, it becomes increasingly more and more clear that the most likely suspect is Magneto. I mean, it does called, certainly seem that way. It's called the trial of Magneto. and There's no yeah. real surprise there, I don't think. You're, is, you're not gonna you're not gonna find a different suspect in number one. No, what is surprising though is Magneto's reaction during the uh council meeting. Mm-hmm. So um essentially it turns out that Wanda and Pietro, when everybody thought they were mutants. It was enough even with her magic to fool Cerebro. So -hmm. it turns out there actually are backup copies of them in Cerebro. Do you think we're going to get a copy of Wanda that has a lot of Onslaught in it? Well, I don't know if it's going to be that or if it essentially allows them... Well, there's a couple things. One is there's, there's intimations at the end of this that She's not really dead, possibly. Or at least her consciousness is out there somewhere. Right, yeah. The other thing would be um, it, it potentially gives them the chance to bring back a much younger, before any of the mutant slaughter stuff, version of Wanda. There's also a metaphysical question here. If Wanda's reality-based powers projected to Cerebro, a reality in which she and Pietro were mutants. Oh. And that is the backup that exists if she is brought back in that context. (laughs) She actually... Would she actually be a mutant? Mm. Oh, wow. This is going to be fun stuff. I like this. Um, But, so, when the council votes and decides not to resurrect her, Mm -hmm. um, Magneto kind of starts to lose his shit a little bit and starts crushing the metal helmet on on Xavier's head and yep. fucking Kate <laughs> Kate <laughs> steps up there's this scene where he's like crushing the thing and Kate you you, you see Kate walk up behind Magneto and put Kate's her about hand to go through his head Eobard Thawne yeah and her comment is Stand down or I'll peel your brain stem right out of your spinal cord like a Twizzler. 
<laughs> like, oh, fuck. I don't know if anybody ever thought about the fact that she could do that. <laughs> That's why they call her the Red Queen. <laughs> I was like, damn, Kate. Um, yeah, and then um, essentially X-Factor shows up to to take Magneto into custody so they can start questioning. And he says no. Um, turns out that probably wasn't a good answer from him. <laughs> No, because uh, that's that's when Quicksilver shows up. Yeah, I, I love that he's standing there, like, fighting the, this this group of people, and then literally he just disappears and his helmet falls to the ground. Because mm-hmm. Quicksilver has come in and pulled him out so fast that, like, it just looks like he just disappears. Yeah. And then literally beats the ever-loving crap out of him, like, to the point of almost death. Yeah. Yeah, until... Uh, um. Jean-Paul pulls him off, yes. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, we get a, a scene kind of from Wanda of, of this person stabbing her and killing her. Um, and it's very clearly, and we're told early in the issue, it's somebody in a white cloak, right? hmm From the way they present, I think very clearly we're gonna, it's gonna not be Magneto. Yeah, I, I can't, uh... Because here's the thing, right? We saw Magneto and Wanda a couple of times Mm -hmm. at the end of the Hellfire Gala. Right. And I think very explicitly, they were cool. He does not have a reason to have killed her. Right, correct. And I have heard it theorized, and I think they theorize in this issue even, that, like, did he do it just to get her brought back and resurrected somehow? But I don't think that that's... That that narratively, I don't think makes sense because he wouldn't think about it as it would bring her back as a mutant. Right, right. Um, I think I think he is obviously a scapegoat. Uh, my question would be, who did do it? Obviously, there are a lot of mutants who have a reason. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a reason the council doesn't vote to bring her back. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, as as Emma puts it, Kate's like, "Who are we to deny the right of this?" And Emma says something about, "Well." we lose our chance to have a world without Wanda Maximoff in it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Statement. Uh, but the other thing, too, is, like, I I still think that Nightcrawler's being drunk off his ass at the gala yep. will end up being an important piece of this story because he's the only person who actually saw Magneto and Wanda together. Right. And he is an unreliable witness. Yeah, yeah, I think that's gonna happen, too. Yeah. And I think, anyway, it, I think I, it's telling that the only three people who voted to resurrect her were Magneto, Kate, and Kurt. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. Oh, my gosh. Is it still good? Save yourself, number three, Brian. Um, They begin to execute their plan for how they're going to stop the, uh, what is it, the beautiful trio, the something trio? I can't remember their name. Lovely Trio? Lovely Trio. That's it. Yeah, the Lovely Trio. Batman Catwoman, number six, Brian. Ooh. Um, uh, Helena asks her mom the hard question. Catwoman, number 34, Brian. Now, I want to take a moment here, because you did guess last time that it that that it was not Batman pulling her out of the river. Yeah, it was. It, it 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 was Batman. It was Batman. <laughs> can I can I say? Okay, I'm. I, I know this is this is gonna break the. the is it still good? Real real quick. That's here. fine. Um, but uh, I, I, let me find. I got. I do. I'll I'll it. allow it for Rob V. <laughs> Thank you. That is greatly appreciated. Uh, hang on. I gotta I gotta find it. Where are they? Where 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 is it at? Here it is. Um. Uh. There's something about a. Uh, do me a favor. Keep her hidden. And she says, "Wait, you're asking me for favors now." Aren't we on a break, keeping out of each other's business? Yeah, I won't tell if I won't tell anyone if you don't. <laughs> like, um, yeah, they uh, clearly uh, all of those uh, feelings between them are one hundred percent there and still gonna have to yeah. be resolved, right? Um, but we are very rapidly approaching the final confrontation between her and uh, Father Valley. It certainly seems so. Yeah. The Flash, number 773. Brian. Ooh. Um, 
Wally has a burning passion to to save a former rogues villain. I'm I'm going to take an aside on this one actually. <laughs> I love the sense of humor that Wally has in this book. I do too. And I don't just mean like explicitly the things he says as jokes, not like the dad humor that he very clearly right. has with his kids, yeah. But I also mean just those very human moments that are played for laughs in in uh Jeremy Adams's script. My favorite example is he's been at work and he's kind of been, you know, doing well, like surprisingly well. Uh, I expected him to like go through a sort of a fuck up plot line. Uh, yeah, I kind of thought really so happen. too. I was very pleased that he did, and I'll be honest. But then he gets to this moment where he's like, oh, there's a fire. Oh, good. I mean, not good, but yeah. flash away. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like that very human, like, Something I know and understand. Right. Relief. I love it. I love it. Yes. Shazam! Number two. Uh, Billy and Dane go to hell and uh, learn maybe, maybe, maybe don't cheat in the magic casino in hell. <laughs> Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number three. Uh... Hey, if Supergirl asks you a question, just give her an answer, because otherwise she's going to investigate and find all of the skeletons in your meta, the literal skeletons in your metaphorical closet, and uh, totally wreck your shit. Superman, Red and Blue, number six. The last issue of Superman, Red and Blue. As always, a couple of favorites. First up is Hissy Fit from Sophie Campbell. This is a book about Streaky the Cat. Oh my god, I love Streaky. Okay. It is a wordless, streaky story in which Superman and Supergirl have to chase her around uh, because Streaky doesn't want to get in a cage. Uh, There's also a story called Son of Farmers, which is written by Darcy Little Badger, with art by Steve Pugh and letters by Pat Brousseau. Uh, There's just a really nice story about, like, the lessons Clark learned growing up and how he kind of applies farming theory, like sort of the philosophy of farming, to... Fighting crime. Like, it's it's cool. It's a really neat story. Um, and then the, the last one's about a kid who's, like, inspired to come out by Superman revealing his identity. Oh, nice. Um, all of these were fun, but those were, those were probably my three favorite. Bermuda number two. Uh, Bermuda has to go save her new quote-unquote friend mm. uh, who has tried to convince pirates to help him save his sister. Uh, and the pirates instead just want to conscript him into service because they're short on bodies. Noctera number six. Go into the light. Gamma flight number three, Brian. Uh, yeah, it turns out there is another flesh creature we could have talked about this week. Uh. So many fleshmen. <laughs> uh, yeah, we 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 find out who Dion really is and... Uh, maybe why she ended up as one of the subjects. Um, as the team starts to learn to trust each other a little bit. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 17. If Rocket Raccoon and Doctor Doom plot a plan together, uh, maybe listen? Miles Morales, Spider-Man, annual number one. Uh, this is a really fun team up between Miles and Amulet who is a character that Saladin Ahmed introduced in his Magnificent Miss Marvel run. Uh, really like seeing these two team up. It was a fun story. Uh, and then we also got the end, uh, or the, the second to last chapter of Infinite Fury, and uh, saw what it's like if maybe Nick Fury was Nighthawk's sidekick. Uh, we get the last part of this this coming week, and I'm very excited. Moon Knight, number two, Brian. Oh my gosh. Um, Such a good book. Good God. Okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a super quick break on this one, too, because A, uh, I'm just going to say, how fucking amazing is Reese? And I want, this character is so great in this book. Incredible. Um, the, the second is, it's got my quote of the week. Brian's quote of the week. Quote, quote. So, um, so, uh, somebody comes to comes to Mark for help and uh, to Mr. Knight for help. And uh, 
he's he's hurt when he shows up and they, he gets bandaged up and he's like, oh, you do good work. Were you a medic? He was like, hardly. I used to be a soldier too. So what are you now? <laughs> he's holding his like, like baton, white baton and his solid white suit with the mask on and everything. He's like, now, what does it look like? Now I'm a priest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so now for my is it still good? Uh, turns out if you're having a problem with your mom, uh, may, maybe go to the Midnight Mission and get the help of uh, the, the priest of Kanshu. Yeah. Yeah. For this issue, he's Mom Knight. Sinister War, number three. Uh, so, so many sinister teams. Um, Boomerang always comes around, I guess. This week's books. Got a lot of them. This week is going to be a heavy week. It is. Superman versus Lobo, number one of three. This is our oversized black label Superman Lobo book from Tim Seeley and Sarah Beattie, the writing team behind the Sex and Space book. What's it called? Oh, uh, Money Shot. Thank you. Money Shot. Yes. Yes. With art from Mirka Andolfo, who we love, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by Fabio Amelia. Uh, a really exciting creator-owned book, Echolands, number one. This is the return of J.H. Williams III and Hayden Blackman, uh, who, among other things, did a really stellar Batwoman run at the beginning of the New 52, with colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Todd Klein. Uh, I honestly do not remember what this book is about, but the preview art is absolutely gorgeous. It is so pretty that despite my uh, well-documented antipathy toward horizontal comics i'll still be picking it up i'm so excited for this book it looks beautiful avengers annual number one which is the last chapter of infinite destinies comes from jed mckay travel foreman jim campbell and Corey pettit with uh jed mckay juan ferreira and joe caramagna on the last part of infinite fury we don't know who the avengers are up against in this one the the solicitation for this one has Always been very cagey, but I know that this whole thing's supposed to kick off a lot of, like, future stories for Marvel, so I imagine it will be a big deal. Cable Reloaded, number one. Do you want to take this one, Brian? Yeah, this is uh, Al Ewing uh, writing, Bob Quinn on art, uh, Israel Silva doing colors, and Joe Sabino on letters. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I need to go into whole much. It's, uh, it's a new cable book. Uh, it's, it's old man cable back. Yep. Yeah. Uh, just a one shot and it is a tie into last annihilation. So yep. if you are reading guardians of the galaxy and or sword, probably want to give this one a look. Yeah. And, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, um, accident that he's holding the sword of Galador very probably no, on the cover. I'm sure it's not. Yeah. Marvel's Voices, Identity Number One. Uh, we are all familiar with the Voices premise. This one is written by Jean Lun Yang, Greg Pak, Christina Strain, Sabir Pirzada, Alyssa Wong, Jeremy Holt, Kid Nimara, and Maureen Gu. Art is by Marcus Toe, Chris Lee, Jason Liu, Marshall Ahmed, Wilse Portasio, Atle Firman Saya, Kin Nimara, and Lin Yoshi. Colors are by Sonny Go, Brian Raber, Christina Strain, Niraj Manan, J. David Ramos, Irma Nivela, Ken Nimura, and Sebastian Chang. We have the return of Spider-Man Life Story with an annual uh, from the, the same creative team as the miniseries Chip Starsky with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Andrew Hennessy, colors by Matt Milla, and letters by Travis Lanham. Brian, do you recall what this one's about? Uh, I do not. It's about J. Jonah Jameson. Uh-huh. It's about the J. Jonah Jameson of this timeline. Right. We have a Winter Guard miniseries, if you enjoyed the Winter Guard in the Black Widow movie. Written by Ryan Cady, with art by Jan Basildua, colors by Federico Blay, and letters by Ariana Marr. And finally, St. Mercy number one of four. Tell me about this one, Brian. Yeah, uh, this is um, this is by John Zur Platin, and art is uh, Antilio Rojo. And this is this is an interesting one. This is um, 
a story about Incan sacrifice, and uh, there is kind of cursed gold from this time. And one of the descendants has been uh, charged with kind of protecting this cursed gold. And when, uh, you know, centuries later, and when someone shows up to steal it, uh, it kind of unleashes and calls forth, the uh, you know, one of the gods from this time who is uh, not good. So, um, like, I, I think just the, the, the tie, we don't get a lot of, like, Incan uh, or, you know, um, uh, Latin American historic uh pantheon type stories so yeah i think this is going to be a really cool one nice yeah as always we would like to thank chase parker for our intro voiceover panelology is a member of the certain pov network if you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture go to certainpov.com. you can visit us at panelologypodcast.com support us at patreon.com slash panelology Get merch at bit.ly slash merch, capital P, capital M. Or send us your questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. You know what you should do this week, Alex? Go uh, read comics. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.